Well, it's like the Ricky Gervais approach to comedy. It's like, yeah, I he's also know. very funny. He, he, he's sort of the stand-up. It's like you're really going to have to make a choice to laugh. Well, or, if Ricky Gervais or, or was really discovered upset. doing something um, inappropriate with midgets because he likes a lot of humour and he yeah. somehow gets away with it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's a thing you joke about, you, you know, Louis C.K. always has very uncomfortable humour, but but it, it's humour. And if there's one group of people in society that we should not expect to be perfect, even above rock stars, is comedians. Oh, now, let, now I'm going to work out, I don't know how to say your surname. Let me check how to make it. Dolnikov, surely. Dolnikov. Dolnikov. Like it's spelt. Yeah, he's uh, of Russian roots, so we need it with a Russian accent then, although probably now uh, no longer popular. Perhaps Pop- not. We're not even allowed to do Russian accents anymore. That's inappropriate. <laughs> exactly. That's where Andy lives, inappropriate. <laughs> it really is. Okay, we ready, we ready? Clap aboard. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri, and alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by Andre Dolnikov. Andre is an interior architect and founder and CEO of Binyan Studios, the world's leading 3D animation studio, specializing in bespoke architecture, images and films uh, with offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and New York, Los Angeles and London. That's pretty cool. Do you want to explain what that means? And Dubai. And Dubai now. Really fantastic. I mean, Binyan is obviously an amazing company. I describe it to people as to say it's, it's the CGI of architecture, maybe that's even how, is, is, is that a fair description? That's, that's, that's how we started, making photorealistic CGI imagery of unbuilt architecture. But over the years, it's really evolved to, you know, pretty complex animation, filmmaking, interactive applications, like immersion rooms, sales gallery activation, projection mapping. So I'm building a skyscraper and you would do a photo reel, like I'm watching a movie, a Hollywood movie of yeah. going in it, but then you're saying what, you would put that in a room or what do you... Well, there's different types of content that you need for different touch points when you're selling. So let's say you're the developer doing the next mega tower or resort or whatever, and you need to communicate to your audience along their buying journey. So first you want to get their attention and you want to make a iconic image of just this glimmer of the building with a beautiful sunset for the billboard as you drive by or some social media content that moves. You know, it's a beautiful, I don't know, coffee cup on a table with the view beyond and then the curtain gently swaying, something that's yeah, yeah. like more, you know, eye-catchy in, in that respect. Then, you know, kind of got the interest. Then you might say, okay, well, now when they click and they want to learn more, I want to create like an advertisement car commercial type film and animation that has a narrative that maybe could be based around the kind of person that would live there. We did a project in um, New York. Hudson, 15, oh, the kind of person who might live there. Yeah, right. Hudson, 15 Hudson Yards, where it was like based on these four characters. One was an art dealer. Another one was a merchant banker. Another one was a chef. So each one had like a backstory, how they came to be there, then they interact. It was all around the product of this beautiful tower, right? But it injected the human experience So it's encouraging it. the kind of aspirational, yeah. I I could live there because I want to be an RT type. In That's area. right. We're trying to attract the audience yeah. that those archetypes represent. And then finally, once they're like in the sales gallery, then you want them when they arrive, they might have a interactive experience where we do things like, you have the brand graphics in front of you and you move your hands and it's gesture controlled and like Ooh. there's like this dance of 
beautiful pixels or bubbles or squares or something. And then they come in, they see a big media table with the physical model and you click this and it selects different floors and you can see different floor types. So you can interact with the product and go into an immersion room and you have like a projected 270 degree surround sound, audio, visual brand experience around the product and so on and so forth. Because basically you're much more likely to buy a home off plan, as it were, or an office off plan, if you can properly appreciate what you're purchasing. Yeah, well, I think you, you would argue you will not buy it without that because it's like saying, would you buy a car without taking it for a test drive? Yeah, and the closest you can do it when people are pre-selling stuff. So is that the primary audience would be it, 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 the raising the initial investment and then once they're building it, selling it? Yeah, they need to pre-sell it oftentimes. Sometimes it's the banks that actually will only approve their full construction finance based on a percentage of pre-sales. Other times it's just um, they want to sell it before. It can also be like hotels. Yeah, of course. Um, do a lot of work for Four Seasons Ritz-Carlton where they're launching a new hotel or brand oh, of residences. Of course, they haven't finished it yet, but they need yeah. to start. They, they, I mean, they're going to open rooms for March or whatever. You know, they run on tight schedules. That's right. Or if it's a location where people are not even used to coming, then they might more be talking about a couple of years in advance saying, we're going to build this magnificent resort on such and such island. They need to convince a whole ecosystem of travel world to be aware of it and then, you know, and make what, the booking. What, what was going on, pre, you know, architects, they're a funny old breed, the architects, and, you know, there's this sort of disco- disconnected... Please, by all means, that, insult our guests. Oh, we're funny accountants. <laughs> I mean, it's another professionals, you know, but it's in an industry before they would draw pictures and then there was there was the stuff you plug it into computers and then you could do sort of realizations on computers what led why where, how did you come into this you trained as an architect and thought this is bullshit we can do better for some reason or it wasn't quite that neat i trained as a as a designer and an interior architect and by the time i was studying the cgi in a digital visualization was already part and parcel of what you learn in um, okay. architecture school. It's already so, there. I mean, before this, there was artist impressions, you know, watercolors and things like that. Yeah, it still right. existed as a, as a medium, but obviously with the advent of technology and this goes hand in hand with what Hollywood does. So, you know, George Lucas, <laughs> technology they developed there in yeah. the 80s eventually feeds through to Hollywood commercial, and beyond yeah. and commercial work. So it's proliferated a lot. Did you hire people out of that industry when you started it? Initially, most of the people were like myself, architects or interior designers, industrial designers. But these days, as we branched out more into complex animation, visual effects and so forth, then we do hire people that, yeah, they've worked on Game of Thrones. and. But they would hire you, Binyan would be hired to come in and visualize it. You're not pitching to be architects as well? Or no, you, no. No. And then, and then, okay, great. And then what are you doing in London at the moment? I'm in London uh, for an event that I'm organizing as, so this year, in addition to running Binyan, I am also the president of the American Society of Architectural Illustrators, who are the longest tenured and existing kind of industry body. In Which a, in used to do the watercolors. Yeah, it started off literally like yeah. in the wow. 80s doing that. And, and then, so the mandate of the president is to create a conference or an event. I decided to do that in London because Wait. it's a really great um, design community, very engaged design community, development community, architecture, computation. I mean, everything. This is a bit of a hub for new cool stuff happening. And because it's in one location and mm. there's already existing networks, I felt it would be relatively easy 
to reach out to this audience and bring this group together. The, the um, um, what do they call it? It's the luck of the geography of, of London is one of the things it has, you know, on, on underneath it, because we don't have much anymore. But yeah, it's it's convenient in a way, you know. Yeah, and, um, um, you know, there's a culture for it here. And so we basically put together this day that's 15, maybe 16 different speakers presenting like TED Talk style presentations about their role in the work of visualizing or visioning the future. So wow. that is visualizers like ourselves, that's the technical name, but then that also includes the architect, the developer, the placemaker, the strategist, the futurist, the filmmaker, so on and so forth. We have and and the marketing team within the the developers own in-house, you know, team. So the idea is that these visions of the future that we portray and create actually explain to today's society what the future may look like yeah. and therefore hopefully improve their decisions about it today. So it has and like it's a, inspire. It's that sort of yeah, thing sci-fi can do. It's like they poo-poo the concept that anyone can predict the future and statistically they're right. But what is true is that you have a role to play in being a visionary for how we might live. Back to the Future 2 was a fantastic representation yeah, of Yeah, they did very well. The, they did the very well. The most like. accurate sci-fi movie, apparently, for predicting the future. Hoverboards. Yeah. Um, Still yeah. waiting for the hoverboards. Yeah. But I mean, the conference is, it's not not sort of like uh, what if uh, bleeding edge kind of like ooh, float. It's it's not thirty years. It's 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 today and the next five years. And it, yeah. because it's the people speaking are not a lot of them are working in the industry to create these projects. It's real and tangible to what actually is happening. It's just creating a sense of awareness and and kind of a collaboration around how do we make the most sustainable, the most future-proof, the most relevant projects that actually make people feel good when they occupy those spaces, be it living, living there or... It's very optimistic, isn't it? Well, it's aspirational. It's, aspirational. it's not like you're ever having, you know, sometimes you're an architect, I'm sure you're designing it's some It's inspirational as well, presumably, because you're trying to kind of inspire and, and encourage people to do build in a certain way, right? Yeah, I, I have to, you know, far be it for me to tell property developers what to do. That's not my role, but I feel everybody, when when creativity and see if the outcome, like one of the presenters is going to be speaking about creating a project on an island, which is quite rare in London. Okay. And the Oh, an island on the Thames. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, and the, the community that ultimately bought into the project was sort of self-selected by the vision that they put forward at the outset of the project. It's going to be an island. You have to go there. You're not going to be passing through there. You have to go there because you want to go there. You have to want to be part of a community. And in this community, there's this amenity, this amenity, this amenity, et cetera. So even though it's a marketing pitch, it actually, like, it, it happened. What they said will happen, happened. And these, and it, like, it's, it's a pretty cool place to live now. Um, oftentimes at the outset, there's a lot of skepticism around like, oh, it's another tower or it's another this. Okay, you can choose to take that view, but we're trying to, you know, encourage a conversation of if you actually make it incredible and actually deliver value to people who are going to live there, well, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
And, and where in London is this actually taking place? Is it taking place in an inspirational building? It's, a, it's at, in the Village Underground in Shoreditch. So it's a pretty cool, cool. venue. Very cool uh, venue. Yeah. By the way, you're very hip pick it, picking that spot. I don't know if you yeah, picked yeah. it. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know my shit. Yeah, I'm totally. I'm like yes. super hip, as everyone tells me. <laughs> I think you are. Yeah, no, of course. I, I think it's just interesting, these artistic places that you've come together as a group and you're saying, oh, London's this great but you know, melting pot of art, and you think, well, artists want to be near other art. So, New York, London, Melbourne is the center yeah. of art in Australia. It's a sort of you know, and I like the idea that you're having an event and you're you're bringing together everyone in such a sort of such a positive dynamic, you know. So you do this inspirational stuff, and then uh, do the architects get pissed off with it? Are they like kind of like, oh, that's, that's not what I, it's not what I wanted, or is there a tension there at all or not? Um, look, we work in a f the phase of the project where the architects are not very involved. Okay, good We're idea. in the marketing phase. So right. when we are commissioned by an architect, let's say to do a competition um, series, a competition C CGI's or a bid, then they're the client. We do yeah, you're what, doing they, what they ask they still, you to do. But they still want us to make their building look amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like getting a photographer. Like, you get a photographer because you know their style and their aesthetic and their eye will portray you as this handsome devil that you really are, just nobody knows about it. Same thing here. Um, we want, we always only brought on to make whatever the subject matter of our work look striking and memorable and, and impactful. So do arch sometimes there's some argy-bargy with architects, but you know. And you have this 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 uh, grand ideal, which is what we were expressing before, which is um, shaping the future of architecture. It's sort of, and is that like a deep-rooted passion in you, or is that just a really good purpose for the company? Well, my passion is to do something that's meaningful with my life. Right. I believe viewing our work this way injects or maybe uncovers the layer of meaning, a layer of meaning that you may otherwise not be aware of. So for me, it's an aspiration because I just going to work and helping property developers become more wealthy while lovely and pays the bills. Not really is, enough. It's not, a, it's not like, a, you know, so, so when we're talking about a, a project where a, a developer themselves has that similar mindset, they're trying to leave a legacy. They're trying to create a, a place that they're really going to be proud of and they want to tell that story in an impactful way. That's why they're talking to us. That is very cool. Now, does that happen every project? No, but we're, you know, this part of this event to sort of inspire that, like saying, this is how we should collaborate because we can do cool stuff and you'll make money. Don't worry. Like great places get and people, you must want to buy them, anyway. them to look at it differently afterwards too. That they they were thought it's some shitty block of flats that probably you know, and you do something that's like, oh, I never thought. Yeah, why don't we paint the front blue and whatever? Well, look, it's it, there's a limit to which we actually impact the design itself. I, I must say, it does sometimes happen. Sometimes we get a brief where the interiors are not designed, and we literally improvise. Particularly like a restaurant or retail, they don't know what restaurant's going to be there. So we're because we're all designers, we can do that. But oftentimes the the intervention is more around how to portray the building that they already have designed, but it's just a bunch of blueprints or a basic 3D model. And we've literally, we've literally had clients like tear up when we show them like first oh, draft wow. of because they'd been looking at their project for five years as a, a very pragmatic exercise. And you go like, well, this is actually what it's going to be. This is the place and this is how the end user will experience it. And it, you know, we always try to inject a degree of emotion and, mm. and tone into our work so that it has a, you know, has an emotive impact. 
Uh, this is a crude question, but, you know, we're talking CGI, we're talking making this whole thing. So this is movie costs, isn't it? We need film directs, we need script work, we need like the whole fucking nine yards. So do you, how, how do you price it? Like per second, it costs you a range, but you could spend anything from a thousand to ten thousand pounds a second on this shit or? Um, we don't really price per second. It's usually per scene and the complexity of the scene. So how many scenes, the complexity of what happens in that scene, is it a, a camera pan through a bathroom or is it an aerial shot of a shopping center with um, 200, 200 characters and a drone footage? And then is it, is it a blend of live action? So when you're doing a, a live action shoot with cast, crew, hair and makeup, location, that's a whole big thing. Oh, you would do it with a live action yeah. shoot and then of course add some CGI, fuck me. Yeah, yeah. You will. of course. Okay. Yeah, so that's a big part of it. So yeah, I mean, the budgets on the animation side of things can, yeah, can range from 20,000 to a million. And and the the you doing the event this year as president is it like a one year ten year as president? Then someone else has got to do a party next year, do they? Yeah, and that's the deal every year they have to throw an event. And you you're therefore the lead speaker this year for it. And uh, I'm the host. You're I'm the not host. actually presenting like a presentation about Binyan per se. I'm going to be introducing the event, yeah. the concept, introducing each of the speakers, chairing the panel, and doing a bit of an interview that's quite style. Quite a nice role to have, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm going to so be like, like you guys. Chill. I don't think it'll be chill, but it'll be... <laughs> it'll be chill. And um, at the moment, is that what's keeping you up at night? There's a final, a final thought on this. The event, um, I mean, tickets are selling great. I mean, surprisingly, happily. I don't know how you call it. I've never organized an event before, so I didn't know what to expect. But, but that stress is not there anymore. I think great. it's going to be well attended. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, Jewish, inherently paranoid about it. <laughs> I'm sure something will go wrong. Uh, you know, uh, there's a, I think there's that Woody Allen movie that he, oh, uh, he, he, was, he was accepting an award. And he, and he said, look, I'm very happy to be here, accept this award. But I must say, this is a terrible thing to happen because surely after this really good thing, something awful will happen <laughs> yeah. very soon. And I hate you all for it. You know, like that was his uh, award. Oh, so man, he's uh, my favorite. Yeah, he's the best, Larry. Yeah. People say I'm a, well. Yeah, yeah, I, you've got some I've Larry. Got a bit of Larry oh my yeah. god, Larry! I'm on my best behavior here. Right, Andy, but, right, right. But, uh, um, look, I just—it's like um, we're at Houston Command Center. The the the, the rocket is up yes. in space. We've launched. Yeah. Now it's got to stick the landing, pick up the moon rocks, come back safely and, and have yeah, a couple yeah. of drinks. Fantastic. Uh, nothing, not one specific thing. I just hope it'll be awesome as I, as I want it to be. Um, I'm more relaxed now than a few weeks ago. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. 
Right. This is where we're going to ask you um, a list of questions and they're quick fire. We're going to get to know Andre a little bit more. You know, who who, who is the man behind and the And then mask? if there's anything interesting in your answers, which I'm sure there will be, we might pick up we one might or two of them at the end. Okay, so D, cue the music. Andre, you ready? I'm born ready. Oh, born ready. What was your first job? Um, paper run. Ten years old, my dad would drive me around. Ten? God. Yeah, of pamphlets, actually real estate pamphlets, dropping them in mailboxes. Okay, no rest for the wicked. Sounds like it was your dad's job as well. You have to drive oh. around. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But he wanted me, I guess, to... <laughs> poor, poor dad. We're losing a fortune. <laughs> yeah, it was work ethic. The alone is... Uh, yeah. what, what was your worst job? Worst job, I was a I was a bartender for a period of time, but one night I was a bar, I was only one night because I quit. Like either I was a glassy at a pretty rowdy bar. A glassy is the guy collect the yeah. Don't go behind glasses. the bar. I actually, do I did a bar course after school, and then I worked at this place, and it was just a nightmare. Like everyone was so mean. I was so bad at it, cleaning up. I'm still bad at it. Sorry, Miriam, my wife is when she, once she's listening, she'll confirm this fact. I'm hope you know, and and I was just like so not manly like everyone was so manly and I was like Ugh. so I ended up getting That's a job at the, at the Sydney Opera House bartendering which there all it was you basically put out champagne like a thousand glasses of champagne during the intermission and then everyone just takes them and you take their money it was like the easiest bartending job and wow. it paid like way better than another one favorite subject at school um I loved ancient history and an art yes. <laughs> another bloody one yeah well done. Yeah. You get art, art, art and history, yeah. Um, that must mean uh, architecture from the ancient period, isn't it? Anyway, what's your special skill? My special skill? I think I'm I'm pretty good at being able to join dots. Like, I, I, I'm able to come up with solutions or see ones that maybe not everyone does. Um, sometimes that's associated with being a little bit self-aware so asking I just actually realized something when you asked about the first job remember the way I got that job I went I was we immigrated from 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 the Soviet Union I was 10 years old for some reason I don't know where I even got the idea to get this job I, I literally went knocked on doors of real estate agents oh, so going you just arrived from yeah, Russia when, like, hello when you... I am young uh, child immigrant boy uh, make paper run job uh, <laughs> and like I got the job slam right yeah now. no it took me a few to get it and, and I got no, it you're Ukrainian you're Ukrainian as yeah, they still say now. Yeah, uh, my mum's Ukrainian, and uh, so I have an inner conflict. Yes. <laughs> um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to change the world, kind of start a revolution, something like that, like something just small. Did like you that. change how you? Did, was it a huge? Is that the Russian in you? Yeah. Was it? A, was it a huge? <laughs> yes. <laughs> was there a huge change? You know, can you remember sort of how you felt? up until 10 and what you wanted to be and then you moved to Australia I assume and your, your aspirations changed terribly you know uh, before 10 I, I didn't have aspirations yeah. my aspirations were to have fun and not get caught for doing it you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know steal a cigarette from my mum's purse you know yeah, that that was the that was the the aspirations of my life yeah uh, of a seven year old boy seven, yeah and then <laughs> and then you know at a certain point like in my early teenage years when I kind of were I don't know I started reading a lot and sort of put down the video game console and like started reading, listening to music, just getting it much more into the spiritual side of life. And I don't know, I read about John Kerouac and 
you know, the beatniks and how they change the way people think. And I was like, we're going to do the new version of that in the 90s. Yeah, nice. Hey. <laughs> uh, what did your parents want you to be when you grew up? I think they just wanted me to be employable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fair yeah. enough. What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, anything Beatles will do. Oh, that's difficult. They're difficult, the Beatles. You can do a few Beatles songs. I don't know if I can do them, I, but... but I mean, we'll give it a go. We all, know, we, we all know them, but there's some bloody tricky singing. Office dogs, business or bullshit? Um, look, we have them. They're everywhere. Uh, one, the first one we ever had in Sydney did defecate under my desk, <laughs> at which point I said... That's a message in I the said, Yeah, I, I said, look, I don't mind the dog, but he... It, it shall not. If it defecates again, I'm gonna kill it. Yeah, that that yeah. So I, I, I'm not. Full, I like. They are cute, and and I, and I. They do give me some joy, uh, and I permit them. <laughs> Have you ever been fired? Yes. Um, from uh, a business forum group. Really? Not from a job. No, never from a job. I've no, never, I've hardly had any jobs. That's very Larry Davis, the business forum group. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they they so basically... Just like, Andre, it's time for you to go. Well, it was a small group and uh, the version I was given that it was an uh, unequal um, value exchange. I don't know. I think they found me ultimately a bit too quirky for them. Yeah. Uh, a bit, unequal uh, value exchange. I think that means, worst. that means like I, I, I was the most, I would say, junior member of this group in terms the of UVE. business experience. Yeah. What's a UVE? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I, therefore, like, I didn't feel I'm able to give business advice to like a guy that's running a 40,000 people multinational company. This is in Australia you got through out of this thing, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. I can yeah. imagine that. And you can, it can be quite parochial there sometimes. So sometimes I was a bit like, so I, I, you know, I was there to learn and I was there and at some point they decided that they might want to have probably a more of a hotshot big deal. He keeps talking about revolutions. Were there any women in this group? No. Okay, well, I've... I'm oh, out. You should have walked. <laughs> um, um, mental note for next time. What's your vice? I can be sometimes a bit of a Larry David misanthrope. Okay. Like, I'll have people over for like lunch and I can get bored. And they can tell I'm bored. They can tell I, 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 also, I also do it at other people's house. I'll sometimes go. It means you don't like people. I do, well, you know, the misanthrope, first of all, doesn't like themselves. Ah, okay. It's not people, it's humanity, yeah. right? It's, right. It's, it's a global uh, yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. It's not like this, I don't like this people. It's like the idea, you know, people, uh, we're all low lives. Do you always, do you find, I find this a lot, so I'm hoping you do, but do you find like people always want you to stay longer than you actually want to stay at their house? Depends who. My point, my, my vice is that when I'm not enjoying it, people can tell. That's my vice. I cannot hide you the fact hide that I'm bored. Well. Yeah. I'm sorry, and I'll go fall asleep in someone's couch in their house. <laughs> and they'll they're talking to you. Not while, but like gradually I drift over. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm asleep on their couch. It's a tad impolite. To it is impolite. Asleep. It's a vice. It's, a, it's not a virtue. You ask, I can give you many virtues. I, uh, I know what you mean. As, as a family, we have the problem. My mum is particularly bad at it, that whatever she, however she likes that person is written on her face the entire time. Either like a huge smile, eyes lit up, really likes that person. Or just to like, you know, and you just, it's so obvious. And you're like, mum, what's wrong? You, you're like, no, 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 I like them. And it's like, <laughs> fucking, you fucking hate them. 
All right, now this is your bullshit question. So something you think is business or something you think is bullshit. So it's kind of like if there's something that most people think is business but you think is is actually bullshit or vice versa. I think the way people think about culture can be uh, bullshitimized. Uh, <laughs> Which is a word we're yep, now going to use forever. It's Thank from you very much. Ancient Greek, like Mr. Mr. Bullshitimized. Yeah. Um, What's the Russian for bullshit? I think you'll find bullshit is very um, Anglo-Saxon in terms yeah. of etymology. Um, <laughs> it is anyway. Uh, where you know culture, you hear about Google and the indoor water slides and the pool tables and the coffees. Like culture isn't. It's nice to have those things if you can afford them. Great, I'm all for creature comforts. But actually, culture is about respect. Culture is about trust, and culture is about people having attributing positive intentions to one another and not being so selfish that they're in a state of this kind of unhealthy competitiveness. So that to me is so when something goes wrong. And when it's a crisis and how people respond to that is the hallmark of culture. Are they there pointing fingers and apportioning blame at one another, to one another? Or are they there, let's solve the problem. We can do a post-mortem later. For now, the problem is what matters. Understandable, you did that. Okay, fine. You know, I would have maybe done the same thing if I was in your position. Let's f- so, and, and, and sort of lots of things like praising, like for, for us, for example, Praising publicly, criticizing privately, like certain tenants that create a sense of safety. I'm not saying necessarily safety in the wokey way. Psychological. Yeah, I don't mean like, yeah, of course, literally, hopefully safety. But I don't mean like safe space, you can't say anything safety. But like a certain degree of adultness and, and respect for one another that creates, you feel like you're Able to be honest in yourself. And able to be yourself, exactly. And I like your example of the reaction. It's like a, a, almost a test of a culture is how that culture reacts to a problem. Of course, when things are going great, it's easy to, to have a great culture. What I love and by love, I mean absolutely hate, is when, you know, you get these people that, and literally somebody's done it to me today, actually, you get these people who say, I'm not about apportioning blame. Let's just work out how to fix it. And then the next sentence is whose fault was it, <laughs> right? That sounds particularly human, that does. You yeah. know, but it's like that kind of pay lip service to yeah. a different kind of culture and the kind of culture that They're everybody smarty, would like, yeah. but then carry on doing all those terrible things that don't work. Yeah, there's a, there's a concept of responsibility. And I'm not against that. And, and we are like, we're definitely very intolerant of assholes. Like we have a few of these little aphorisms you can have a bad day, but you can't give someone else a bad day. You can have a bad day. You can say, I'm having a terrible day. Great expression. Yeah. Uh, I, need, I need to have a cry on the shoulder. But if you go off at someone and yell at them and, and, and diminish them, or like, then no, not that's cool. not cool. Like, I used to share an office with somebody, and he knows who he is, if he's listening to this, who, when he was in a bad mood, like he didn't even have to say anything. He'd just come into the office, and the whole office was immediately suffused with his bad mood. Yeah, they control the temperature of a room so yeah, people have their exactly. cash. And I, I, what I find fascinating in a culture, because we, we're very lucky where our culture is right now, it's amazing, like, and it's so strong. And then if there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's anyone who's suffering, we know about it and we all work together on it. But also if there's a bit of a bad apple who joins, it's quite hard to work them out. No one's black and white. Well, some people are, but they're not murderers. It's like, hmm, on balance, not sure. So far as you're aware. People work it out really quickly because everyone's on, but you... 
you, to your point, you only need a se- someone who can't leave a senior character, say, who's a really toxic individual, you know, or has some but real But it is that bad apple issues. poisoning the yeah, barrel, you've got right? One, one bad apple now, you're fucked, basically. And what we learned, and I'm sure you've learned as a partnership, is the bad journeys, of, you know, partnership. We've got all these people at the top, a lot of architects of partnerships, is you can't have one bad partner. And bad means even weak in terms of they're not really good enough to be a partner because actually that's a bad apple if they're just yeah. they haven't achieved enough performance is part of culture performance yeah it's like saying imagine a sports team where everyone's super fun like like everyone gets on great but one of the guys can't catch the ball <laughs> But they're so great. At the, oh, they're so, he's they're, such they're, a nice guy. Yeah, they always peel the oranges and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they cannot catch the ball. Yeah. And then you, they will cause you to lose games and it will cause someone else has to catch the ball for them. So performance and culture are not but two you know, separate with, with things. With that, that yeah, person, the, the, you know, the solution is not necessarily to fire them, but to put them in a role where the fact that they can't catch the ball is not a problem. Yeah, probably not in that sport. Yeah. Yeah. Or training or handing out the oranges or whatever it is. Yeah, of yeah. course. And, and that's, yeah. that's yeah, that, I, absolutely. I can make an analogy because you sort of mentioned the, the pool tables or the babby foot or the whatever is, and they put some or signs the up or whatever. The pool tables or the what? What's it called? Babby foot, you know, little football. Sabuti- no, Sabutio. No, Sabutio is different. I even I know that. Table foot. Anyway, anyway. I, it reminds me, and it may be something, you know, is obviously pubs in this country, they sort of crashed in the 80s, 90s. And then what happened is they got bored up and sort of gentrified. And it's a bit like that. You can't, a, a, a good pub has something else deeper going on. You know, it's got a good landlord, it's got a, a vibe to it. But actually, what happened, and there's loads of them, London everywhere, which are just, they, it's like they bought them all online, you know, the signs and they got the this thing and that thing. And you put it in, it looks like a pub. But it's a, it's a, that's sort of your point underneath it is you can't create, it's not about fucking you know having what? a pool I, table. This is a complete you know? side issue. But what I really think ruined pubs is mobile phones because the best thing about pubs in London sort of 10 years ago was... 20, sorry. Maybe 20 years ago, (laughs) was quiz machines. A really good quiz machine in the pub was the best thing because you'd all stand around the machine, put the money in. It would be like we had a... the pub where I used to work, we had a who wants to be a millionaire quiz machine. And you would play it every time you're in the pub and it was brilliant. And now... It's they just, don't it's, exist anymore. It's, it's, it's lost it. Anyway. It's lost it. That's great. I think that's a really, I thought what you said was beautifully put too. And the, the depth, it's the interpersonal relationships you have as a team and the respect and trust you have. I don't believe you have to like each other either. You have to respect each other, you know, and that's, and it's actually. It's nice to like each other. I think nice. it's, it's nice. better than not. You don't not. have to. You don't have to to work together, you know. Well, Luckily. yeah. Maybe don't dislike each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you want to, you know, how do you get in touch with you or anything you want to promote or anything? Um, well, the event really, you know, would be great, you know. Tell us what it, the event is again. It's um, the ASAI 37th Annual Conference in at the Village Underground in Shoreditch, November 17th. Theme is cause and effect. It's a gathering of global experts in visualizing, visioning, and creating narratives of the future of our urban fabric. And the idea being that the more that today's community understands how our future will look 
tomorrow, the more the decisions we make about that today are improved. And that's the cause and effect cycle. And can anyone come? Could you buy tickets online? Yeah, ASAI.org, ASAI.org, buy tickets. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. You have been brilliant. And thank you for your support as well. Anytime. Um, So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Andre. Thank you to Pippa, Dee, the producer. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, is ciao.